You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, how are you guys doing today, City Church, on this fine Easter? Yeah. Well, man, uh, I want to welcome all of you to Easter services here at Sunset with City Church Downtown. And uh, if you're a guest with us, we're really glad you came. And uh, we hope you feel comfortable to kind of participate at a level that you're comfortable with, that you can explore God and observe some Christians in their natural habitat. Uh, You know, we get pretty excited about Easter. It's kind of a big deal for us. And we've been in a conversation recently called Hope Dealer, and we've been talking a lot about hope and dealers. And I got to tell you, the first dealer that I ever met was when I was kind of an insecure teenager, and he was a weed dealer. His name was Tom. He was a tall guy, about six, seven. His hair was long, so I think his hair was like six foot. Uh, And he was six, seven, and we were sitting around a circle, and he uh, took, you know, what do you call it these days? A hit, a toke, or what? I don't know. You know, I'm a nerd. He's like... And he's like, ear. And I'm like, okay, and I took it. And the reason I took it is because I was hoping for something. I was hoping that I could be accepted by people around the circle. Now, some of you are new here, you're like, what kind of pastor in church is this anyway? Well, I gotta tell you, I gave that up many, many years ago, just so you know. And the reason I gave it up is because I got a new dealer and his name is Jesus, right on? So check it out. And look at what Jesus is all about in Matthew 12, 21. It says, and his name will be the, what's that next word? Hope. His name will be the hope of all the world. And what Jesus does when you meet him is, is he transforms you to be a dealer too, a dealer in hope. In fact, look at how Peter talked about it in 1 Peter 3:15. He says, worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asked you about your what? Hope, as a believer, always be ready to explain it. And so I want to submit one simple idea to you today, and it's this. Resurrection hope is the deal. It's personal, and it's real. Would you say that with me out loud when I point to you? You ready? Here we go. Resurrection hope is the deal. It's personal, and it's real. Now, there's this pastor and author that I really like, and his name is John Ortberg, and he has a lot to say about hope. And he says that when we're young, uh, it's really natural for us to hope, isn't it? So like you're in school and you're young and you're like, I hope I can pass the test and I hope I can make the grade. And then you're starting to date and you're like, I hope she says yes when I ask her out. And some of you ladies were like, I hope he asks me out. And then you see another guy and you're like, I hope he doesn't ask me out, you know? And then you continue to grow up and you're like, I hope I get the job. And then uh, I hope I can get married someday, right? And then I hope that we can get a house together. And then I hope that we can have children in the house. And uh, then you get a little older and you're saying, I hope we can get the children out of the house right now. You know what I'm saying? Uh, So here's the thing that we all learn as we grow up is that we learn that hope and life will disappoint us. So for some of us, it's like, well, I hoped that I would get married, but I didn't get married in the time that I wanted to, or I I got married, but we weren't able to have kids, or we got married and we we, we had kids, but something happened to one of our kids, or I didn't get the career that I wanted, or something bad happened to my health, and I wonder if there's an ultimate hope that can overcome all the other hopes that have been dashed in our world. And we know that our world needs some hope, doesn't it? In fact, according to the CDC, um, 
life expectancy, the average life expectancy in the United States has actually gone down over the last few years. And that's the first time that that's happened in a century. And one would think it's because of heart disease and cancer, but that's not it. It's because of drug-related deaths, the opioid crisis, uh, alcohol abuse, and suicide. These are called the diseases of despair. And so uh, this has led to um, early deaths of despair in recent years. In fact, these have tripled over the past few years. And we see this despair reflected in the way that we entertain ourselves. So if you look at the trends amongst uh, videos, movies, television shows, um, it's not just hero movies, but it's shows about zombies, okay? How many of you know of a zombie show, all right? So there's, of course, The Walking Dead, and there's World War Z, um, and there's historic zombies, there's child zombies, there's animal zombies, and check this one out. There's also Zombievers. That's a real movie. Zombievers. And the tagline of this movie is, you'll all be damned, D-A-M-M-E-D. Okay, that's a pretty apocalyptic future, right? Is that we're all getting chowed down on by zombievers. Um, Well, there was a Danish philosopher and poet named Kierkegaard. And he said that if there were nothing eternal in a man, he could not despair. So in other words, I think we all know that there's something beyond this life, that there's something eternal. And since we know there's something eternal, that's why, as Kierkegaard says, we have the capacity to either despair or hope. Because if we were not eternal beings, we would only experience the hungers of our physical bodies and our physical instincts. Um, And what Jesus does is he challenges our despair when he says that there is hope that actually can trump all of our disappointments. And when our lives seem to get the darkest, God's light can shine the brightest because resurrection hope is the deal. It's actually personal and it's real. And what Jesus does is he challenges you and I. He challenges people. You know, he's not one of those people that just lets everyone chill and um, doesn't force the issue. But if you're hearing my voice today, then spiritually speaking, Jesus is forcing you to make a decision about who he is and what he's about. And here's how he did it with the disciples. Look at me at Luke chapter nine, verse 18. It says, who do the crowds say I am? And they reply, well, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah and still others say one of the prophets who long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. And here's where he gets a little more pointed. Who do you say that I am? And then Peter had a famous answer. He said, God's Messiah. And Jesus gave Peter, kudos for coming up with the right answer. But then Jesus gave Peter some news that he didn't want to hear. He said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be, look at this part, killed. And then on the third day, be raised to life. That was the hope in the midst of a tragedy of Jesus' death. And so we've said that resurrection hope is the deal. It's personal and real. So um, there are two facets of that one idea. First, let's break down the last half of it, that it's actually something that's real. Resurrection hope is real. It's historical. Uh, It's an event that happened. Christianity is not so much just based on spiritual truths or a book, but it's based upon an event that happened, the resurrection of Jesus. It was so historic that Paul was willing to go to trial for it. Look at Acts 23, 6. He says, I'm on trial because of my what? Hope is in the resurrection of the dead. 
There was literally and historically a man who walked the earth named Jesus Christ. He never wrote a book, but more books have been written about him than any other man in history. In fact, his movement died when he died, but his movement was resurrected when he rose again from the dead. This is why uh, we do not believe in all the other would-be messiahs of Jesus' day because they stayed in the grave, but Jesus rose and that's what catapulted his movement forward and that's why we've learned about it today. In fact, Jesus changed the cross from uh, an image of Roman crucifixion and Roman torture to an image of hope. That's why people wear it around their necks today. Our history is literally divided BC before Christ and AD, which stands for Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. And you already intuitively know that we're eternal beings and that there's something beyond this life. Because when you look at your children and you see the glimmer in their eye, you know that when they die, they're not just gonna be fertilizing the grass. It is, as Kierkegaard said, we're eternal beings, and Solomon said it this way, that God has planted eternity in the hearts of human beings. In fact, one Gallup poll estimates that 13, over 13 million Americans have had a near-death experience. That is, they flatlined, they were brain dead, they had no pulse, and somehow they were brought back to life, and they talk about these experiences that they had, and they're consistent in a lot of these experiences, and they experienced a realm that is actually more real than the reality that you and I are walking in today. Listen to how Paul talks about Jesus' resurrection. We're gonna go to 1 Corinthians 15, 4. And he says that Jesus was buried. He was raised on the third day, according to the scripture, and he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of his brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, his half-brother, then to all the apostles, and last of all, Paul says, he appeared to me. Now look, he says, Jesus literally appeared. And Paul wrote this Corinthian letter 20 years after the resurrection happened. And the reason I brought that up is because 20 years later, there are still people alive who can fact check you, right? How many of you know that politicians need to be fact checked and so do preachers? And in this day, you can't just stand up and say stuff like this. Um, when you, you can't just write this in a letter and stand up and proclaim this like Paul did because someone's gonna be there who can check you on your facts. In fact, um, I used to be a youth pastor some years ago back in the 90s and I'm part of this little online group uh, that kind of reunited all the people from the old youth group back in the day and everybody's reminiscing and posting pictures of all the stuff that we did together and like uh, the adventure course we went on at youth camp where people would jump off of zip lines and, you know, jump off of telephone poles, of course, with the harness on and then, uh, you know, had like this disco party that was like a 70s party and a bunch of kids wore like these Afro wigs and stuff like that and and there is a fair amount of correction and attention to detail on that page because someone wants to kind of remember the glory days and embellish them a little bit, and someone else is on the page and able to correct it and say, no, I was there, this is how it happened, this, who wore, this is who wore the Afro wig, and his, this is who did what. And so look, if a group of people who are in their 30s right now can fact check and correct matters related to 70s parties and Afro wigs today. What makes us think that Jesus' uh, resurrection, a man literally, 
literally risen from the dead that Paul was talking about wouldn't get fact-checked in his day. So the resurrection was something that's real, but it's also um, ha- something that happened on the third day, Paul says here. He says the third day, and that's significant to his Jewish audience because in their holy scriptures, um, that would have been the Old Testament of the Bible today. They would have had all these stories about significant things happening on the third day. So if you go back to their stories, you would see see stuff like uh, Joseph's brothers were put in jail and they were released from jail on the, what, third day. And then you have this lady, Esther, who she found out about this plot by a really uh, egomaniacal kind of underling of the king that was going to commit a genocide, was going to kill all the Jewish people. And Esther prayed and fasted, and she won favor with the king and saved the lives of all of her people on the what? Third day, right? And then you see stories like, uh, for example, Abraham, when uh, he thought that his son Isaac might be sacrificed in, uh, in a religious ritual, and he gets there and finds a ram in the thicket, and it saved the life of Isaac on the third day, right? And then there was Jonah. You can't forget Jonah. He was in the stomach of a great fish and he was spit out on the beach on the, guess when? Third day. And so Jesus called his own shot when he said, just like Jonah was in the fish, I will rise again on the third day. And any guy that can call his shot on rising again from the dead is a guy that I want to follow. But not only is the resurrection real, it's also personal. Let's look at how the resurrection was personal for Paul. He points this out in 1 Corinthians 15, 8. He says, Jesus, last of all, he appeared to me also as to one, look at that next phrase, one abnormally born, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. And that phrase there, abnormally born, is actually a Greek word, ektroma, and it's just, it's kind of an obscure word, and it literally means like an abortion, like an aborted fetus. And so Paul is saying, hey, uh, I'm not the most impressive person in the world. In fact, some parts of the New Testament would uh, indicate that Paul was physically unimpressive. His name, Paulos, means little one. And so some scholars have even speculated that perhaps the apostle Paul had some kind of problem at his birth that stunted his growth. And he was probably not the most attractive guy, maybe a small smaller kind of guy that wasn't respected in that day. But he said, hey, here I stand, a living abortion, and I thank God for his grace that he accepted someone like me. And look, no matter who you are, what you've done, how you feel about yourself, resurrection hope is real and personal for you because it lets you know that Jesus did something to save you. And no matter what you've done or how you feel about yourself, he welcomes you into his family to be changed. But uh, one of the great things about Paul is that he was a guy who lived life before he died. You know what I'm saying? He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so he lived his life before he died. And I, I really like uh, the point that's made by Erwin McManus. He's a pastor and author. And he wrote this book, and it's called The Last Arrow. And I heard him give a talk about the book, and then I read the book. And what he said uh, about this particular experience that he writes about in the book is that he went to a doctor to get examined um, to get a key life 
uh, a key man life insurance policy. And in the examination, he found out he had cancer. And so I don't know. So he goes back to work on his Last Arrow book because he figures this might be the last book I ever get to write. And he looked back at what he had written, the introduction that he had written a year earlier, and look at what it said. It said, so let me just tell you before you hear it from someone else, I'm dying. It's interesting, isn't it? And then he said, but so are you. And you know, those lines were prophetic. And before Irwin had surgery to deal with his cancer, he had to wrestle with the fact that he may die sooner than what he wanted to die. And so he allowed himself to feel all the emotions that might be connected to dying young, younger than what he expected. And he thought, well, maybe I'm gonna feel angry or bitter at God. But those feelings never came. And it dawned on him, the reason he never felt angry or bitter at God is like, God, I've had a great life. I can't be mad at you for this. I've had an amazing life. And then he allowed himself to feel fear. Like a lot of us would feel fear uh, facing death. And the fear never came. And Erwin thought to himself, how come I've never felt the fear associated with death? And then it dawned on him years prior, he'd been ministering in the ghetto and he was facing death all the time because he was ministering in a dangerous place. And he was asking God to give him a verse to encourage him as he's ministering in a dangerous environment many years ago in South Dallas. And the only verse that came to his mind were the words of Paul where the Bible says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And what Erwin realized is that the reason he wasn't afraid to face death now is because he had died a long time ago in Christ. He had died to his own desires. He had given up his life for the gospel. And he says, death is so last year. My cancer was not for me. I'm a Christian, I've already died. And he says, the only proof of life after death is life before death. Because how many of you know, a lot of people have died, spiritually speaking, long before they've ever died in the physical realm. And so how about as resurrection people, we be a people that actually live before we die, see? And that's why so many of you are doing things to initiate resurrection life in your reality right now. There are people in our church that we're ministering under the bridge and serving others because they wanna live now. Some of you are contributing to the San Antonio Food Bank today because you wanna alleviate food insecurity and live now. There are others that are courageously facing or peeling the onion class because they want to live life to the finest and the fullest right now and overcome hurts, habits, and hangups. And many of you are learning to be hope dealers where you're learning to initiate spiritual conversation with your friends that you care about and put yourself out there and actually have the conversation about Jesus because you want to experience life now. Some of you are inspired and encouraged by the Holy Spirit to take risks, whether it be in business or otherwise, because you want to experience life to the fullest right now. Resurrection uh, kind of life and hope is not just for the future someday, but it's for the right now as we step into it, right on? So this resurrection thing is a little bit personal for me and for a lot of us because it gives us hope that we're gonna see some people that we miss. Is there anybody that you know that's died that you miss them? And I, I, I'm just like you, and I think about my papa, my grandfather, and I brought a picture of him. And um, 
you know, I'm the little guy on the horse. And when he passed away when I was a little man, <laughs> little guy, it's the first time in my life I realized there's something wrong in the world. But because of the resurrection, I have hope that I'll get to see my papa again and that there, there's not gonna be any lung diseases like the one that took him out here on earth that will be together forever and ever. And I'm sure we can ride horses and do whatever we wanna do. And I look forward to seeing my friend Dennis Maples. Anybody remember our friend Dennis Maples? And I brought a picture of him. And when I walked up here this morning, check this out. When I walked up here this morning, I couldn't get this picture out of my mind that I'm showing you where Dennis was right back there raising his hands in worship and look where we're going because of the resurrection. There's not gonna be any diabetes that took Dennis out and he'll be able to extend his arms and his fingers without arthritis because of resurrection hope. Is anybody on board with that kind of hope today? Yeah. So... Look at how Paul talked about it in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. He says, now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died so you will not grieve like other people with no what? Hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. This resurrection hope is the deal. It's personal and it's real. And some of us are gonna be reunited with family because God is all about family. In fact, he wants to be your family. Listen to how he talks about it. Like one chapter right after Paul writes about resurrection life, he writes about God's desire and heart for you. Look at 2 Corinthians 6.18. I will be, God says, I will be a what? father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And what I want you to know and what I want to proclaim to you today is that some of you have a father, a good father that you've never known. Did you catch that? You have a father, some of you, that you've never known, that you've never met. You're like a woman here in San Antonio named Marty Lee Seelinger. Marty Lee was born many years ago. Her mother didn't have the wherewithal to take care of her and wisely gave Marty Lee up for adoption. Well, fast forward some 50 years and Marty Lee was able to acquire her original birth certificate. And on that birth certificate, it had the name and it revealed the identity of her biological mother, Jan Seelinger. And so she through a quick Google search, found that Jan Seelinger had passed away just a couple of years ago. So she didn't get to meet her bio mom. But on that birth certificate, she looked for the name of her dad and it was actually redacted, deleted, whited out. And that led Marty Lee on a search to figure out who her biological father was. And she had come to find out through the research and contacting family members that Jan, her mom, never told her bio dad about the pregnancy. And she continued to search and ask questions and uh, interview relatives, and she was able to acquire an excerpt from her biological grandmother's diary. And grandma's diary had the name of two men that had dated Jan in college. So Marty Lee went to work and contacted the first man. And uh, after making contact with the first man, he took a DNA test and 
The DNA test revealed that he was not the guy, not the one. And so guy number two was contacted and a DNA test revealed that he indeed was the guy. He was Marty Lee's biological father. His name is George, George Damon. And now Marty Lee had a decision to make. Will I allow this guy into my life? Because now I know who he is. Is he gonna be drama? I mean, is he gonna be like a jerkwad? Uh, do I want him in my space, you know, in my life? And through a series of emails and then eventually phone calls, Marty Lee made a decision to take a flight along with her husband to go to another city to for the first time meet her biological dad. And she got there to that city and George turned out to be an amazing person, a delightful, wonderful man. He had a wonderful home and he had a wonderful family and Marty Lee was basking in the joy of finding the father that she never knew that she had. You know, Marty Lee's story is kind of personal to me because if you rewind those many years ago when she was born, she was adopted and her name changed and she grew up and uh, in college is when I met her and fell in love with her and today Marty Lee's name is Jeannie Sammons Robin. She would be my wife and I... And I brought a picture of uh, Jeannie and her bio dad, uh, George, and he's a wonderful man. And you know, I think that Jeannie's story represents the gospel in two different ways. Number one is she met a father, a wonderful man that she never knew she had. And at the same time, when she was a baby, she was adopted by an amazing family that she wouldn't trade for anything. But you know, these gospel human illustrations break down at some point. All of them do, don't they? And here's why. Because for some of you, to think of God as your dad would be a negative thought because of your dad's dysfunction. Some of you have had dads that made some mistakes, right? And so it's hard for you to think about God as dad. I want you to erase all that for a minute. And some of you, the illustration breaks down because you had a good father and you're comparing God to your good father. And what you don't understand is that God is better than all the best fathers uh, represented in this pavilion today. And all the fathers in history combined, he is the greatest father. So you have to erase that from your mind. You know, let me go back to Jeannie's story of meeting her biological father for a minute. The thing about that experience I'll never forget is when we were leaving the Kansas City airport and George was saying goodbye to Jeannie. He hugged her, he kissed her on the forehead and he said, I love you. And I held my wife as we walked down that airport terminal with tears running down her face because she had connected with a good man, a good father that she never knew that she had. And here's what I believe God is saying to some of you today is he's saying, I wanna be your father. I long to hug you and kiss you on the forehead and tell you that I love you. And you know how you receive him? It's real simple. John 1:12 makes it clear to us. Let's look at it. He says, yet to all who did just receive him, to those who believed in his what? Name. He gave the right to become what? Children of God. So I think we should do that right now through prayer. How about it? Let's bow for prayer. And as we bow before God, and as you decide 
before God right now as Jesus asks you, who do you say that I am? Would you just talk to him right now in your own heart and mind and say in your own words something like this. Just say, look, God, I know I've sinned. And right now, the best I know how, I'm choosing to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And I welcome you into my life. Thank you for coming in, Jesus. I'm choosing today to receive you. Welcome into my life. If you just prayed that and you'd like me to know about it, would you just raise up your hand real quick? Just raise up your hand. Awesome. Excellent. Yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you for each one all around this place that's prayed that and welcomed you in. And for the rest of us, we commit our hearts and lives to live before we die to be dealers of resurrection hope. We thank you for what you're doing among us. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Well, here in just a minute, those of you that are being baptized are actually gonna get dunked. So if you're signed up for baptism, registered, I want you to come up to the front right over here and over on this side, go ahead and come up. And as they're making their way here, I need to challenge some of you for a minute on something. Because we believe in something here called believer's baptism. That's where you get baptized after you made the choice to believe in Jesus. Some of you are really kind of living off your parents' choice to have you sprinkled or baptized as an infant. And that shows that they had a good heart for you and wanted to raise you in the ways of God. They're good people. But you know what Jesus challenges you with is to say, hey, it's not about my parents' choice, but it's about my choice. Because how many of you know people who were baptized as infants or sprinkled that they blew God off when they grew up? But if you've made the choice to believe, whether it was today or at any other time, here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to have the courage to stand up, go back to that baptism tent right back there to behind the pavilion to my right and get registered to be baptized today. Hey, look, you don't even have to get baptized in your clothes. We got clothes for you. We got towels for you. Nobody's gonna wait, wear, make you wear a Speedo or anything like that. Okay, look, you, you can get baptized today. So let's celebrate this beautiful multi-sensory experience that God has given us called baptism. Bless you, Lord. All we can say is thank you for each and every individual life that's represented in this service and the last and the one coming up that has been changed. People change because of a Savior that's alive. And for that, we celebrate today. And we have power not only over death in the future, but sin in the present and boredom and lack of faith because we are experiencing now resurrection life. We can't thank you enough for it, and we pray it in the powerful, wonderful, risen name of Jesus. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Yeah. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.